here's some advice. Never, ever kick your boss out of your office. I did this. It was actually quite foolish, too, because as it turns out, he was only there to offer me a raise. (laughs) Now, let me clear up one thing. It was not Dave Bartlett. Previous job, a long time ago, not even at Orchard. But I was so angry that I couldn't even stomach the small talk, so I kicked him out of my office before it even began. My perception was skewed, and I was trapped, and I felt like this wild animal cornered in a bad situation. And maybe you've been there, and you know what this is like. I had been overlooked for a job, and it had been given to a smooth talker off the street who made a lot of big promises. But I felt like I was the only one delivering. So pretty soon, I couldn't keep the rage inside, and I started to vent which turned into a little grumbling, and then all out, full-fledged, don't kiss your mom with this mouth, complaining. I only saw what I wanted to see. It felt good to dwell on it, and it felt good to let others in on the truth behind it. Because it feels so good to be sympathized with, doesn't it? I mean, if we're in misery, isn't it better to bring others along for the ride? And what more attractive way is there to hook them in than by complaining? Boy, that didn't end well. I got the raise. Eventually, he did see that I was putting in an effort and appreciated the hard work. But the road getting to this point was rough, and I was guilty of creating a lot of drama. James says, The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among body parts. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I don't even know how to soften that cheery news. But I didn't want my life marked by the devastation of evil words. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You say things without thinking, and then you see your words hit their mark and have a devastating result. And I didn't always want to be the complaining victim either. I had had enough of that. And for others of you, you're thinking, is there another way? to survive circumstances without complaining? I was looking for one. I'd been stumbling around by trial and error until my best friend shared this bit of advice with me. She said, circumstances don't dictate your life. How you react to them shows if you're resilient enough to bounce back and charge ahead. You can't control circumstances, but you can control your reaction to them. And we're in Philippians, and the Apostle Paul is explaining what the Christian life should look like as people are growing and maturing in faith. And much like my friend's advice, here's his general rule. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens when you're mad at your boss, when you're frustrated with your kids, when you're balancing your checkbook, whatever happens, conduct your lives in a manner worthy of Christ. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel? What does that even look like? Paul sorry, Paul uses this word all the time in his letters. He says, walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. Live in a manner that's worthy of the kingdom of God. Walk in a way that's worthy of God's call on your life. It's important to him, so what does it mean? For Paul, it meant being careful how we live, living in such a way that Jesus is seen as winsome and attractive and something worth giving your life to. And he should know because he's in prison at the time he writes this letter. 
For Paul, Jesus was of the utmost value. And so regardless of his situation, he was going to honor Jesus with his behavior. And so the same is true for us. Being worthy of the gospel is, first of all, accepting that because of Jesus, we are righteous in his sight. And then living this life fueled by the gift of holiness he brings us. It doesn't mean pretending to be perfect. Rather, it's having the humility to think of others more than ourselves. Giving others grace when they don't deserve it because he gave us the same grace when he called us his children. And so here's a nugget of truth that will help us live worthy of the gospel regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in. Are you ready? Some of us need to take notes. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine like stars among them in the sky. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Anyone cringing? Anyone wishing I'd focus on something else? Anyone grumble a little bit when you got out of bed? What about on the way over here? I know, it's hard. It is so easy to complain. It's the default reaction to so many life circumstances for so many of us. But from prison, Paul instructs that the mark of those who live worthy of the gospel is that they are complain less. Do we reflect this? Are our lives complain less or are they riddled with complaint? The Greek word for grumbling is actually a term that sounds like complaining. Its pronunciation is much like grumbling or muttering in a low tone of voice. Gragismos. Gragismos. It just sounds primitive. Guttural, like there's no redeeming quality to it. The word for arguing or complaining is dalismosk. But it's more intellectual in nature, which is worse because it means we're negatively criticizing or questioning God. Now, last week, Alice was here talking about God-centered whining, whining to God about what we're going through, the struggles we're dealing with. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whining about God. Grumbling at its core is displeasure aimed at God for one's circumstances in life. When we complain, we are denouncing God in a low and underhanded way. It's like talking behind his back, but it's aimed maliciously at him. And Moses saw this in the Old Testament. As soon as he delivered the Israelites from 400 years of slavery, he led them out to the desert, and they started grumbling and complaining that the only thing they had to eat was quail and manna every day. But God had provided it, so Moses, like an exasperated parent, said, What are you doing? You are not complaining against us. You are complaining against God. Folks, this is a serious offense. When we complain, we gripe against the Lord. It is never a harmless habit. And this was one of God's main charges against humanity since the beginning of time. In the book of Romans, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, and their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ungratefulness is the result of, That happens when we complain all the time. And for mankind, it was a slippery slope into the chaos we experience today. Paul goes on to say that the result was murder, strife, deceit, ruthlessness. 
There's a lot at risk when we complain. It's never a harmless habit. And so here's the test for checking our attitudes. How quickly are we to complain? How quickly do we point out the negative side of things? I'm leaving on vacation, but with my luck, my flight's going to be delayed, and then I'm going to miss my connection. How quickly are we to ruin somebody else's good news? Hey, I just got a promotion. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't know what that's like. They always give promotions to undeserving people. I mean, no offense. Do we take joy in outdoing others' misery? Ugh, I just found out that the pain I've been having is gallstones. Oh, yeah, I've had those. It's not actually so bad. What's bad is kidney stones. Oh, and gout. And I have like six cavities right now. Toe fungus and this excessive earwax. Can you even believe my lot in life? We all know people like this, don't we? Some of us are this person. I would like to suggest that this mentality is a conditioned one. It is learned behavior over time to which many things contribute. But the truth is, is over time it's easy to condition ourselves into a mindset whose default is to grumble, complain, and argue. And in the end, negativity is a high price to pay to both us and all of those around us. And so here is the long-term cost of grumbling and complaining. First, you live your life at the mercy of circumstances. What does it take to ruin our day? A bad day at work? A long line in the grocery store? Why do we let those things ruin our day? Life is full of circumstances. If each one drives us to grumble and complain, our lives will be an emotional roller coaster that ends up in resentment and bitterness. And life will be stagnant and will be tossed about by the wind of circumstances. You don't want this. I was stuck in a sailboat the size of a bathtub for an afternoon. I went out sailing with my dad for the first time, and he has a tiny two-seater sailboat. But boy, does it fly when the wind's blowing. We were zipping back and forth, and the old guy was just guiding us like a champ, and then the wind died. And what once had been fun became the longest afternoon of my life because the waves carried us to and fro but never home. This is what life is like when we live at the mercy of circumstances. We're blown about victims of those circumstances and we'll never reach the destination we're aiming for. Living life at the mercy of circumstances is a high price to pay. Secondly, the long-term cost of grumbling and complaining is that it creates in us a spirit of negativity. Here's the cold hard truth. No one wants to be around a negative person. I worked with this short, pudgy, middle-aged cook when I was in college. It was the late 90s, but he rocked a mullet with the best of them. And he had this little waddle, and he never looked you in the eye, but boy, could he throw down a complaint. And if he had a complaint, which was all the time, he would follow you around the pantry and bend your ear about it. It got to be to the point that I would show up at work and know exactly how my shift was going to go that day if he was working. He was miserable to work with, and no one liked him. Don't be like that. Having a spirit of negativity is a high price to pay, but it is the long-term cost of grumbling and complaining. 
A negative person is critical, judgmental, and the hardest thing about them is they have no clue that they're so miserable to be around. They are black holes of joy. Who knows someone like this? How many of you would say your number one priority is spending more time with this person? Of course not. You run as far away as you can, as fast as you can. Grumbling and complaining creates in us a spirit of negativity, and it's contagious, especially with our children. This is a high price to pay, which leads me to the third high cost associated with grumbling and complaining. We will isolate ourselves and we will lose the intimacy of relationships. Research out of Brigham Young University says that being alone or feeling lonely increases the chance of early death by up to 30%. Isolation and loneliness has been proven to cause high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and suppresses the functioning of our immune system. And in fact, scientists have concluded that chronic loneliness poses as significant of a health risk as cigarette smoking. This is a high price to pay. Some of us are here and we're letting our negative spirit destroy our relationships with other people. And maybe we're aware that something's wrong, but we've never had the courage to face it. In the grace and power of Jesus, I'm asking you to face it this morning. Somewhere along the lines, a negative spirit took root and we're in the process of isolating ourselves because no one wants to be around us for any length of time. If this is you, have the courage to face it today. And if you don't know if this is you, ask somebody, is there any areas in my life where you see negativity? Will you really honestly tell me the truth? I challenge you to ask this this morning, but don't ask it of a negative person. Ask it of someone who knows you well and who has enough courage and love for you to tell you the truth, and then have the courage to face it. Because if we don't, this problem will not go away, and we'll find out that we're signing up for a deeply lonely life. The last high price of grumbling and complaining is what it does to our souls. It depletes us of hope. By grumbling and complaining and living a life at the mercy of circumstances, over time, we'll give up in the face of obstacles and challenges. It took my sister three times to pass her dental board exams. Circumstances that were out of her control the first two times she attempted it nearly broke her. And I remember walking with her as she approached this last time, and I remember her saying, this is it. If I don't pass this time around, I will not take it again. And she had worked seven years to get to this point, and her hope was wavering. And I prayed that she would not give up and that she would not lose hope. You see, when hope is gone, then we settle for mediocrity. We'll never experience deep love, deep faith, and we will never celebrate great victories We'll never know and experience God in the way he's designed us and in the way we long for. He's created us with the ability to dream big and to pursue those dreams at all costs. The loss of hope is a big price to pay for momentary joy of grumbling and complaining. And if we lose hope, then our lives will start looking like the lies we believe. 
But Paul wrote to the Philippians, and by extension us as well, whatever happens, conduct your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this is how you do that. Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you may become blameless and pure and you will shine. You'll shine so bright that everybody will know you're mine. Did you know the darker the night, the lighter the bright appears? As Christ followers, we're to be lights or light bearers. We don't create the light, but boy do we reflect it. When we reflect the glory of the Lord, everybody will know that Jesus is shining in us. I had the privilege of traveling with my 90-year-old grandmother to Alaska. We had the joy of being the oldest and the youngest member of this tour group, and we were in Denali State Park. And on clear nights, which was every night, you could see the aurora borealis, the northern lights. Words cannot describe experiencing this. I felt like we were on top of the world and we could reach out and touch it. It was breathtaking. And then I read Paul's words, words to me that says, do everything without grumbling and complaining because then you're going to shine like that. When we live, no matter the circumstances, without grumbling and complaining, in a dark world, we reflect the light. In a hopeless world, we illuminate Jesus. He says, be blameless, be pure, do not grumble, do not complain, and let your lives be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. You see, this attitude, this mindset is not dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on our heart. And Jesus is going after our hearts, so the work has to be done here. We have to protect our hearts at all cost. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The heart is where life originates. And so if we want to protect it from the high cost of grumbling and complaining, and from the devastating list of the things I just shared, then this is how we do it. First, remain silent. My entire life, I've lived by this simple rule. It is better to be silent and be thought of a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. And yet they give me a microphone. Actually, the Bible says it a lot nicer. In Proverbs, it says, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So for some of us, this could be our new life verse, right? Remaining silent will 100% of the time take care of the issue of grumbling and complaining. But I get it. It's tough. I actually tried it this week during a fitness class at the Sportsplex. I decided I was not going to open my mouth regardless of what the trainer was going to make us do. And this particular day, it was Brian, the toughest trainer, and he was making us do burpees. I know, if you don't know what a burpee is, consider yourself lucky. A burpee is a medieval form of torture (laughs) that involves having cat-like reflexes as you drop to your hands and knees, do a push-up, jump back in the air, and then raise your hands in the air. So some of you do know what these are. And mine look absolutely nothing like they're supposed to, but you get the point. So we're doing burpees, and then he's making us repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat until somebody called the ambulance, because seriously, they're a torture. I mean, I might be complaining just a little bit, but on this day, I didn't. And I counted. We did 75 burpees. 75! 
And I didn't complain once, but boy, did I want to. I wanted everybody in the class who was also doing the burpees to know exactly how miserable I was. But I kept my mouth shut, and honestly, it was my attitude that benefited. Remaining silent solves the issue of complaining. So if you find yourself ready to grumble, shut your mouth. For some of us, this will dramatically drop our word count for the day. (laughs) Secondly, by refocusing our minds, we can become complaintless. In this very letter to the Philippians, Paul tells us how to do this. This is what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In a TED Talk, psychologist Guy Winch says, once we become convinced of something, it is very hard to change our minds because our minds will trick us into giving up or being helpless or quitting because of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And one of the most unhealthy tricks that the mind plays on us is called rumination. Now, to ruminate means to chew over something over and over and over, to stew on something all the time. So how many of us have had a fight with our spouse, and then the scene replays in our mind for hours, days, weeks? I know, I'm guilty of it too. Ruminating and then verbalizing about the upsetting events can easily become a habit, and a very costly habit at that. So why not instead... Make a habit of ruminating on that which is true, noble, right, lovely, pure, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Instead of ruminating on the negative, let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on scripture. Let's focus on the things of God. And let's focus on being grateful. And Winch's research shows that even a two-minute break was enough to break the distraction of rumination on the negative in that moment. So each time we have a worrying, negative, upsetting thought, refocus your mind on that which is pure and lovely and praiseworthy. Instead of complaining that we're doing 75 push-ups, be thankful you can do a burpee. Instead of complaining that no one picks up after themselves, be thankful you have someone to pick up after. And here's the kicker. Pretty soon it's going to be praise that's what's going to come out of our mouth. If focusing on the negative brings about grumbling and complaining, then fixating on that which is praiseworthy will cause us to praise God in all things. Praise is the mark of those who trust Jesus, not complaining. Praise is the mark of those who trust Jesus because anybody can complain, but only those who know the grace of Jesus can praise him regardless of the situation. And Paul repeatedly says in the book of Philippians, practice these things, practice these things, practice these things. The fact that he tells us to practice, to press, to strain, to work out, shows us that these things don't happen naturally. They happen with practice. They happen by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through the gospel, but they don't happen by accident. We must practice. Practice living a life worthy of the gospel. Lastly, most importantly, let's find our hope in Jesus. 
For over 2,000 years, Jesus has been the source of hope. There was something about him that caused people to hope that had no hope. Leopards came to him hoping they'd be cleansed. Prostitutes came hoping they'd be cleansed. The lame came hoping to walk. Lazarus died. And Mary and Martha came to Jesus hoping for life. And when I came, I came with an anchor of shame tied around my neck, holding me down, a victim of circumstances. But in him I found hope. I found a purpose for life. I found a Savior who loves me and who is in the process of redeeming my suffering and my brokenness. And in the end, who will restore everything. This is the hope I have in Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know this hope, his name's Jesus. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a painful death, but it didn't end there. He was raised again, and now he's in heaven, seated at the right hand, the place of honor, with open arms, willingly open to anybody who calls and comes to him. He offers life to all of us who come to him and put our trust in him, and we don't come with it all together. We come and bring our brokenness, and somehow he takes it and creates something beautiful from the ashes. My anchor used to be attached to shame, and now it is anchored in Christ, and I have the confident expectation that God is at work in this world and will bring something good out of it. I want my life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Do you know him? Do you want your life worthy of Christ? Then, brothers and sisters, here's the first step, something we can apply immediately this week. Do everything without grumbling and complaining and then you'll shine like stars in the skies and your life will be worthy of the gospel. And so in our last few minutes together, I'm going to pray, but will you do me a favor? Will you just close your eyes just for a minute? Where in your life are you most prone to complain? Is negativity wreaking havoc on your relationships? Where is it in your life that you're most vulnerable to losing hope? Where are you most tempted to give up? I encourage you just to take a moment and to talk to God about these things. Tell him where you need help. Ask him to restore your hope. And ask him for wisdom. Lord Jesus, we want our lives to be worthy of the gospel. Will you show us the areas in our heart where the work needs to be done? Will you remind us that every time we complain, we do it against you? And then will you show us and give us the courage to turn those complaints into praise? Help us think and focus on that which is praiseworthy, noble, and pure. God, thank you that in you and only in you do we have hope. And now as a blessing, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.